Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning, and we come to your scripture, um, confessing that we are people who fall short, that not one of us is perfect, not one of us has it all together, that each of us has our own set of struggles and our own set of blind spots. We come knowing that you are the God who sets things right. We come knowing that we are people that, that need you. And wherever in our hearts or minds we've convinced ourselves that we don't need you, would you please do the work that you can do and set us free of such wrong thinking? And so we open ourselves to you that you would do your work in our lives this morning through your scripture, through the proclamation of your word, through your work in this room, through, through your being with us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me ask you, who's your plus one? Who's your plus one? And not necessarily like if you got an official invitation to go to a wedding or some kind of dinner and they said plus one. And, but who's your plus one? Like right now, if you could be transported to any beach in the world, who would be your plus one? The person you would want to bring with you. Alternatively, and this is quite a, a contrast, so be aware of whiplash. If you had to do yard work the rest of the day, who would be your plus one? If, if you were on a deserted highway and you were having engine trouble, who would you want with you? If you were going into court, maybe to, to uh, um, challenge a traffic fine, or, or you were accused of something wrongly, who would you want with you in that court? You know, studies have shown is that we are made for plus ones, at least plus ones. We are a people made for community. You can look up the research yourself. You can find the statistics. They are available. But the bottom line is that studies have shown that chronic isolation results in deterioration of mental, emotional, and physical health. We are wired to be in and to experience relationships. It's who we are. Whether you're extroverted or introverted, it's true that we are wired this way. It may be that some of us prefer our doses of others in smaller amounts, while others of us just say, bring it on. But we're wired for community. So where are we going with this this morning? Well, with such uh, an introduction, we could talk about all kinds of things. We could talk about fellowship, that's a churchy subject. We could discuss that. We could talk about outreach and the need to reach others and to, and to share with them community. We could talk even just about the very definition of what it means to be a church. But for our use this morning, in fact, not only this morning, but for the next three Sundays as well, we have a very special relationship in mind. We're going to talk about the most important plus one. God with us, that God promises to be with you, that God brings His divine presence as you're a follower of Christ, that God says, I will bring my divine presence, and in so doing, we know that we 
receive and experience God's divine power. Think about that. The eternal, all-knowing, all-wise, holy God says, I'm going to be with you. The creator of all things, of the entire universe, the redeemer of humankind, the, the sustainer of life itself, says, I'll be with you. The Alpha and the Omega, the great God who is, tells you, a follower of Christ, I will be with you. This week's encounter with God's promise to be with us is actually from the Old Testament. God making a promise to His people at that time that He would be with them. And in it we find that there's this reminder, a declaration, a substantiation of at least three connected realities. That if God's presence is with us, we can know these three things. We can know whose we are. Or making it personal to you to know whose you are, to know whose I am. We can know whose power rules, and we can know whose battles we are to fight. Today's passage is going to be Deuteronomy chapter 31. We're going to look at three, different, or three verses from that, that chapter. But before we get there, just a quick refresher of where we are in this story. If you recall the story of that first part of the Bible, that, that God chooses Abraham, and Abraham uh, and, and Sarah end up having a son named Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah, they have a son named Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. These become the 12 tribes of Israel. The 11 of the sons don't like, or at least 10 of those sons don't like one of their sons. And so they kick Joseph out. They sell him into slavery. Joseph goes down to Egypt. God uses that. God was with Joseph. And he uses that situation because there was a famine in the land. And now all of Jacob's sons can make their way to Egypt. And they can eat and be well. And they thrived. Only they ended up being put into slavery. At some point in some time in, in their time in Egypt, they were placed into slavery and they had uh, an oppressor. They were the oppressed. They had taskmasters and they were the task doers. They, uh, they called out to God and God eventually sent them Moses. And Moses, God was with Moses and, and God went uh, through Moses and provided those ten plagues and the people were set free. There was the Exodus, there was the Red Sea, there was... Mount Sinai and the golden calf, all these stories taking place, they find themselves before Kadesh Barnea. And if you remember the story at Kadesh Barnea, they, um, they sent ten spies up into the land according to God's call on them. And the ten spies went up into the land, and they came back and they said, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's great land, it's a great land, but the people are scary. The people are scary. And so the people chose not to go up. They chose to push back on God and said, we're not going up there, even though you promised to be with us. And God's response to them was, well, then you will wander in the desert for 40 years. We come to the end of that 40 years. 
It's a whole new generation. They're no longer at the southern border of that promised land. They're at the eastern border now, and it's time to cross. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we find Moses giving the people a set of sermons. And here we find, toward the end of the book, Moses' sermon. And he begins in our text first speaking to the Israelites as a whole, and then to Joshua, who would be their leader in specific. This is Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 through 8. Hear the Word of God. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, the people in the land. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. May God bless the reading of His Word, and may God bless us as we come under His Word today. So here's the charge, the actual charge from Moses to the people and to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Do not be in dread. Do not be dismayed. I think if we take a little bit of time and reflect, it's not all that difficult to put ourselves in the position of experiencing fear in the midst of God's call on our life. Just as His people at that time on the eastern border of the promised land, as they had fear or they had the propensity or the potential for fear as they went into the land, so we too can experience fear in response to God's call on our life today. For example, God calls us to be kind. One might think, well, how hard is that? And then all of a sudden we realize to be kind, we have to confront our own pride. We have to confront things like, like our, our, our own comfort or, or our own agenda. We all of a sudden realize to be kind to another is to give up time, to give up priority on things we might want to prioritize and prioritize their well-being. And that can feel a little scary at times. Or how about when God says, you know, I want you to be light. I want you to be salt. In fact, you are light. You are the salt of the earth. And we start thinking about sharing the gospel or telling people about Jesus, and we can get trembly knee disease, and we don't want to share it. What will they say? What will they think? I don't want to be one of those kind of Christians. What if I lose this relationship? What if I don't know what to say? What if I mess up my words? you know what, I'm just going to do it through my actions. I'll, I'll never explain it to anybody. And we back away from the very call that God has on us. We can be intimidated. We can be fearful. Or how about when God calls us to radical generosity? We don't mind being a little generous. We can even be relatively generous. Some of us might even stre stretch and go, you know what, I'll be legally generous. But in Scripture, when God calls His children to radical generosity, that can be a little fearful, 
little fear-inducing. God, you want me to do what? To care for whom? To open up that much to the well-being of others. Maybe we could, going on with the list, we, we could be a little fearful about forgiving or, or loving God with all of who we are or to love our neighbor. God, do you really ask all these things of me? So the thing that God was commanding His people to do in their time at uh, the end of the book of Deuteronomy was that they were going to go into the promised land and to remain holy. That was His primary call on them, that they would go into the promised land and remain distinctly His people. And that the reason for their strength, the reason for their boldness and courage, was not to be their abilities, but the fact that God was with them. And we find, we find through the whole of the book, we find through the teaching that there are three realities connected with that. In their story, we discover these three realities, putting them in our personal terms, whose you are, whose we are, whose power rules, and whose battles we fight. So first, to whose you are, whose you are, God's presence with the Israelites would be a declaration, an ongoing reminder, a, a substantiation of whose they were. Do you know that in the Bible, there's this four-word uh, phrase, this way of referring to God. It occurs 402 times. The Lord your God. The Lord your God. It occurs, occurs 402 times uh, in Scripture. 241 of those are in the book of Deuteronomy. So, well over half of them in one text. There's an underscoring in this book, people, this is your God. This is the God you belong to. You want to know whose you are? You are God's people, the Lord, your God. And listen to what Deuteronomy affirms about this God. So, we're going to look at quickly just a, 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 a list of verses here. Listen to this. This is from chapter 10, verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. You want to know who you belong to? You belong to the God over all things, all of creation. Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He's a trustworthy God, the supreme God who is fully trustworthy. Deuteronomy 4.35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him, the only God. In fact, we get the same reminder in chapter 6, verse 4. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's alone. There is no other. Chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 32, 4. The rock, His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. 
just, just and upright is He. Who is your God? He is the just and upright one. And then finally, in 32, verse 31, Moses says, for their rock, the rock of the people that you are going to go in and be neighbors with, for their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. There is no other God. In other words, they, the Israelites, and we even today, we belong to the one true God. You know, again, it's easy to possibly think about people going into a different culture with other gods, and the temptation might be to worship those other gods. And, but in our experience, we don't know of other god names, and maybe there's a couple other monotheistic religions around us, and we don't wake up going, you know, I'm really tempted to worship the mountain this morning or the sun god. We don't have necessarily that kind of experience. But when we take a moment and reflect on the other gods that we can be tempted to worship, in fact, we may even be worshiping even now, would be gods like these. There is the culture. You know, the culture. It's not that we wake up and go, I'm going to worship the culture today. But all of a sudden, we can find ourselves falling into a pattern. We, look, we begin to look around and we go, wait, I'm just in lockstep with everyone else that's kind of in my income level, kind of in my neighborhood, kind of of my background, and, and we all shop at the same places, and we all kind of dress alike, and we do the same things on the weekends. Oh, I might add a little bit of Christianity here and there, but in essence, I look like everybody else in our culture. We find that we're worshiping some of the same gods that everyone else in our culture worships. An example of this, it may even be something as small as our phone and how we can wake up worshiping. We don't wake up going, you know, today I'm going to worship my phone. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm worshiping my phone. We may not say that, but the amount of time and energy and all the connections that it gives us and the social media and the things that we pay attention to, and all of a sudden this is dominating our life, our time and energy being given to what that phone represents. Some of the classics in this area, this area of worshiping other gods in our midst, are things like money and comfort and power. We can add to the list, all of a sudden we find ourselves worshiping the approval of others as a recovering people pleaser. I know that one all too well. We can find ourselves worshiping past hurts without our even knowing it these things in our brains that we're connected to and that are still informing today, and we realign our lives around them. Maybe you've experienced this before as a, as a, if you're a driver, and maybe if you're a passenger, you've seen it. In fact, there's an example of this on Allen Road. If you're going north on Allen Road, uh, north of, um, of 150, there's a blind curve, and just after the blind curve is a, a traffic light. And so there's a sign there with some flashing lights that tells you that you need to prepare to stop. And some of those say, you know, if the lights are flashing, prepare to stop. 
And this, this would be one of those times, even in this message, where we would want to see one of those signs that says, prepare to stop. If we're worshiping other things, if we're worshiping other gods, things that we give our time and energy and attention to, then we better be prepared to cease. And it's not easy. It's in part why we gather together and worship and go to Bible studies and participate in life groups. Because we need to be reminded whose we are. That we don't belong just to ourselves. We, we don't belong just to our culture. We don't belong to these other things. We belong to the living God. Maybe as a way of application, identify one thing in your life that you know you belong to. That, that you have fallen in behind of, that you've put up as a directive in your life, whatever that thing might be. Maybe as a way of discovering what those things are, we could ask ourselves the question, what influences our choices the most? What keeps us from looking more like Jesus? How do we use our time, our energy, our money, our thought life? And as we make this list, we can say, wait, stop. I belong to God. I am His, and He is with me right now. If that's who we belong to, this living God, let's take a look at what is the reality that comes along with God being with us is that... um, it's a reminder of whose power rules. Whose power rules. You know, 40 years can make a big difference. They were at Kadesh Barnea, and the people did not go up. That generation did not go up in the land. They were intimidated. They were fearful, and they did not go forward. But now it's a new generation. They're about to go in. We know from the story of uh, Joshua And from the book of Joshua, what happens as the people go into the promised land? In fact, they have an experience right away of whose power rules. They were going into this land. God was sending them in. Their job was not to conquer all the people. That was God's job. Their job was to remain holy, to remain distinct, to remain God's people. And so they go up to Jericho, and God gives them these instructions. Here's what I want you to do. It's crazy. March around the town. And on that final marching, I want all the priests, I want them to blow the trumpets, and we know what happened to the wall. The wall comes tumbling down. That it's God's power that rules. If God is with us, what a great reminder What a great declaration. What a great reality that we get to live. God did not promise his people that nobody would be hurt or that nobody would suffer or that nobody would die. He promised that he would be victorious and that they would be victorious with them. That God would win. That God's power rules. You know, it's a story that we meet in the Bible time and time again. The serpent may have been able to convince Adam and Eve, but the serpent does not win. 
We know at the Tower of Babel, or Babel, however you pronounce it, that, that the people were able to build a tall tower, but they did not become God. They did not win. God wins. How about in the battle between Abraham and Sarah and old age? Old age didn't win. God wins. The story of David and Goliath, the story of Jesus and Pontius Pilate, the story of the early church in Rome. It was always stacked against God's people, and yet it's God who wins. It's His power that rules. And so God was sending His people into a whole new world for them, and they were to remember who's, who was with them and who had been with them, that this was the God who could go against Pharaoh and win. This is the God who could go against the Red Sea and win. That this could, is the God who could hear of the shortage of food and make sure that food was provided. Or that there was a shortage of water and it's the God that provides the water. It's the God who can hear of their sin and give mercy. The bottom line is that we can be strong and courageous with what God has called us to because God is with us and His power rules. A lot of Christians are drawn to that one little verse in Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God is with you, and His power rules. Is, our, is God our plus one in every situation? Have we acknowledged His presence with us? Do our lives recognize His power as the one that rules? Which then brings us to our third reality. His presence with us defines whose battles we fight, whose battle you fight or I fight. You know, the big temptation for the people of God during that time, as they faced, the temptation that they faced as they entered the land, was that they would intermingle that they would not remain distinct. In fact, there's this part in chapter 7 uh, where it talks about the, the Israelites were not to give their daughters to the people's sons to be their wives, nor were they to take the daughters of the people and to give them to their sons, and that there would be intermarriage. It's not a statement against intermarriage all times. It was in that moment, in God's agenda, as He was addressing evil in this world, you're saying, I need you. I want you. This is my plan for you, that you would remain distinct. This temptation of intermarrying our priorities with the priorities of the surrounding culture is prevalent in our lives as well. Yes, we're called to be engaged in life and to connect with people, to build relationships, but our priority is different. Our priority is to be God's people, to be light, to be salt. And so three battles I believe that God would have us fight, that God gives His presence with us, and that these are our battles. One is the battle of devotion. Who or what will we seek first above all other things? The battle of love. As I have loved you, so you will love one another. Love your enemies. Love your neighbor. the battle of discipleship, that we're called to obey and help others obey everything Jesus has commanded. 
that we don't just give up on these battles because we're not interested in them or because we're so committed to other battles in our life, but these are the battles that God would have us give ourselves to. The battle of devotion, the battle of love, the battle of discipleship. Here's the good news. God is with you. And because God is with you, you know you have the divine presence and therefore the divine power. It's a promise He made to His children, so it's true. We receive it in faith. Is there more to discuss? Absolutely. We might have questions like, how do I know He's with me? What does it feel like when He's with me? How am I supposed to respond? What what do we do together? What does all this look like? Let's let it be enough for today that our call is simply to be strong and courageous. Not in ourselves, but that our strength and our courage comes from the God who chooses to be with us. And because God is with you, you know whose you are. Because God is is with you, you know whose power rules. Because God is with you, you know which battles you are called to fight. And because we know these things, we need not be afraid of being radically faithful ourselves. We can live full out for God without fear. The victory is already His. His power has already won the battle. And we get to be, anyone who says yes to Christ, we get to be His children. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You indeed are the God who is with us, that You do not leave us alone, that though You are the God who created all things, and You're the Alpha and the Omega, and all these larger-than-life transcendent realities about who You are, that You're also the God with us. And we thank You that You sent Your Son into this world to be with us in a very distinct, tangible way as the fully human, fully God, and that He gave His life on the cross, that through His death we would have life with You forevermore, and that death itself could not contain Him, but He was raised from the dead and now lives forevermore. And we have this meal before us as a reminder, as an experience of Your grace, as a sacrament of the church. And so, God, would You set these elements aside, the juice and the bread, Would you also set aside, even as we do, our hearts and our minds to be open to all that you want to pour into us? God, we thank you that you are in the midst of the, as as we, in our midst as we receive this meal today. We give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.